When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Utopia. Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by David Hartrick. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. <sighs> Intro done. <laughs> Crack on with it. Luton Town, one all. What did you make of the game, Dave? Um, I didn't think it was a great game. I didn't think Town were particularly at it for a good hour of that game. We'll we'll go into some of the stats on it, but I mean, it's a good point in the end. Luton are a very well coached side who. Uh, I think made a big error that allowed Town back into the game because I think first half they they really had Town's number, but then they switched to a three at the back that it took it freed up a little bit of room for Tuffalo and Peeper, and that changed the game ultimately. So I thought there was a bit of an error there, but they're a good side, Luton, and I think you know hindsight's a wonderful thing. I suspect hindsight might prove that this turns out to be a decent point in the end. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a game that we're talking about at the end of the season, unlike the 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 games against Luton last year. Yeah. Um, and and as you say, they've you know that they're a well drilled side. If nothing else, Luton, they're a difficult team to beat. I think they've they've shown that sort of going back into into last season. Um, their run of form at the end of last year was was really impressive for a team that were in the relegation zone for so much of the year or thereabouts last season um and as Carlos Corbrand said coming into the game you know that it doesn't matter that they were in league one the season before last at this point they're a mid-table championship side at this at this point obviously at home you want to be winning your games ideally but I think given that they went behind I think it'd be a bit churlish to to look that that Point in the mouth, yeah. if that's a phrase. That's not a phrase. No, it's not. Can a you phrase. look points in the mouth? Do no. points have mouths? No, no. no. Um, it, it, I mean, it was a, it was an awful goal to concede. There's, there's no getting away from that, is there? No, I, I said that to you at half time. We were, we were both. I, I mean, I was quite stunned that they conceded it, really, because it's like to let a, to let a ball drop from that height and nobody get anywhere near enough challenging. Particularly when, mm. particularly when you got a player there who, I mean, all he had to do was basically take one step inside, and then it was dropping onto his foot. I, it was, yeah, it was not a great goal at all to concede, and one would suspect that's one of those goals that, as a manager, you just you'd be absolutely fuming, fuming, because yeah. it's. I mean, like getting to getting to the second ball is something that you hear in pub football. Never mind in yeah. in Championship football, and it's a quite a rare goal for town to concede it's not it's not something they do that they they don't tend to let the ball bounce the only time we've talked about it before was the Rochdale game when Critchlow didn't have a good time and there was a couple of times where he kept letting the ball come over his shoulder and bounce and it was actually Rochdale players who were getting onto it so it was quite an unusual one to to see really but yeah it was poor but I thought that that first half it's worth just talking about a little bit in isolation in that Town were were sort of completely dominant, but it was the same old story in that they had seventy percent possession in that first half, 
six shots, but Luton only had thirty percent, but got four shots off and had two on, you mm. know, two on target, which was more than Town. And it's I hate to sort of I feel like we're repeating ourselves sometimes, but it's just those six shots that Town took, all of them were inside the box, but they were all what you would call, I mean, in in simplistic term, half chances. It was the creation they mm. were struggling again to, to work openings. There was only really, I think, was it Lewis O'Brien um, had a had a very good, yeah, very presentable in the first chance. Half. Um, and they upped it second half. They Town did, did much better second half, and they created a bit more, and they got more shots in, but... You know that they was they started slowly, and they they really when we when they came off at half time, me and you both sat there and said they're just not at it at the moment. They are just not at mm. it, and it was quite unusual because sort of the key feature of Corbin's team so far is that they they're out the traps, you know, lightning quick. They're at you, and it just wasn't like that. And I don't think that was solely down to loot, and I think that was I think that's what. Fans are going to have to get used to this season because I think that was the amount of games that Town have played coming yeah, home definitely. to roost a little bit. And the fact that they managed to sort of up it a bit second half, I think, is a good sign. And I think that I think they, I think they did okay. Again, you slightly worry that the changes they made didn't really change anything. There was no sort of massive discernible change to the pattern of play, but. It's it's just there were there were some tired bodies out there in the sort of first minute, which is slightly slightly worrying longer term. But I suspect they're not the only ones in the championship in the same boat. No, absolutely not. To be fair, that there have been other games where they've they've not been great in the first sort of ten or fifteen minutes, but they they've tended to be the away games. So and I know that you won't have have been at them, but that's what they were like against Birmingham. It's what they were like against um, Swansea in particular. Um, that they they really struggled. The, the goal they got against Swansea, they scored completely against the run of play. Yeah. Um, so, but they, they did have a, a poor start. But the one thing that has been a bit of a pattern has been they tend to start second halves really really well yeah. in those games as well. The, this this is sort of one bit of credit I would give to Corbran. Although obviously you know you look at the flip side and say well they shouldn't be starting slowly either, which is fair enough. But when they have had a slow start in the first half or they've had a poor first half, they have generally come out in the second half and look absolutely miles better, look like a different team. So they're obviously saying something to them at half time and reminding them of, of what they should be doing. Um and, and that was the case here. I mean that that it was immediately apparent within a minute of them restarting that second half that they were gonna be really going for it and that they were they were starting the second half in a completely different gear, which is not advisable uh, if you're on a driving lesson. I would say you want to, but um, no, that they 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 would they really came out and and were absolutely at it. And there was only one team that looked like scoring in the the in the second half, sort of the first sort yeah. of twenty minutes or so. And obviously it was with, town with a slight caveat that well, I I know exactly what you're saying, and they got a very good goal. And we'll come to the goal in the minute. But again, I thought while you say only one team looked likely to score that second half. I think for most of it, barring the goal, really, Luton were pretty comfortable. I mean, yes, yeah. like Town's success rate on crosses was just below 20%, which is, I think there was about 15 crosses they attempted, and that means three actually found a Town head. And I know we've talked about them getting to the byline and what have you, but the the success they had from a cross for the goal, it, it, again, I don't want to repeat myself, but they've got to get to the point where they're taking those 
chances regularly, you know, the quality's a bit better and they mm. are creating more because one of our big worries, Steve, and I mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but one of our big worries is town so rarely score more than one goal. So if Luton, yeah. Luton get that goal first half and me and you both said at half time, they've got to find two goals to win it. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is we, we not to labour it too much because we talked about it last week. But yeah, I mean, that's that's seven out of nine now where they've scored uh, in a row. They've scored nine nine games in a row, which is which is good to see. But as you say, and as we talked about on the last episode, seven of those nine now have been a single goal. And I think the the fact that you know, if you look at the the, the games where they've scored a single goal, it's a win, a draw, a win, two defeats, another defeat, and a draw. so that sort of shows you that this is a side that that as you say needs to score twice probably because then they're not a one nil team you know they're they're not a a Middlesbrough Um, Uh, although (laughs) although Thomas Frank did say that Middlesbrough are the only team that play um, that play the same way as town defensively oddly Mm. enough there you go the thing about the Millwall game as well was a slight aberration because the two goals came so late on yeah um you know, it's it's it is an issue. It is an issue going forward, and through all the sort of positives, and there are loads of positives because we'll go into the goal, which was a huge positive, and we've got lots of good stuff to talk about this week. But it it is going to be the defining issue of their season. There's no denying it, and me and you are going to end up talking about it again and again and again, and we'll try and find new ways of saying the same thing, <laughs> so you don't get too bored. <laughs> But ultimately, it does come down to the same thing. They've got to find ways to create better quality chances and they've got to finish them. Yeah. I mean, one sort of thing I will correct from from that last podcast is I, I said that I felt they were becoming a little bit over-reliant on crossing again. And I've since looked at it and, and I don't think there's, I think there's only one team in the division that actually crosses less than Huddersfield Town. Um, and obviously they got the goal at the weekend from a cross as well. But, but. The issue is that, as you say, we're, we're not seeing the fullbacks get into the byline quite as often as, as we did. Harry Toffolo is still doing it, but Pippa in particular is... He's coming and it inside. Seems, I th- it, it, yeah. As soon as he sees that gap inside. And interestingly, we've we've talked about it. We've, For one reason or another, we've um, been near opposition coaches or analysis for the last couple of games, and they are... They're actually quite happy for Pippa to come inside because they think he gives the ball away a lot. Um, so he's he's actually been showed inside a couple of times, which is interesting. I think that's dangerous because it, uh, he he showed sign. You know, he hit the post late on uh, the other week. He's shown signs that he will get goals. Um, but I think it's quite interesting that teams are doing that. Have you had a look at the pitch map from Saturday? Because I have well, th- this is this is what I was going to say. Sorry, before we move on, and, and you might be about to say the same thing as me. But I think Pippa is being instructed to cut inside actually, because he's he's coming in so often into that, in almost into a number ten position, and it was him doing that 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 helped create the goal. And I I think because they've not got Pritchard or Bakuna, I think he I think Corran wants Pippa coming in and helping almost be that. That, that extra number 10 being that creator um, and sort of the big criticism we had last time out for Pippa was that he was taking on shots that he didn't really have much right to take to be fair to him he didn't try a single shot um, at the weekend and I thought he was quite a bit more effective because of that but as you say and I think this is probably what you're going to say that left hand side Toffolo is still 
playing as a an out and out sort of fullback wing back. He's he is still trying to get to the byline and and get into the box and get those crosses. And to be fair, that's the combination of those two things is what led directly to Caroline's header and and goal. Yeah. But sorry, go on. What were you going to say though, Dave? No, I was I was going to say that if you uh, like town fans, one of the best apps if you enjoy the sort of analysis that we do one of the best apps you can you can get is a free app called sofa scores um and it's a it's a scores app but their statistical analysis live on the game and they do change things in review after i think is is as good as you're going to get on an app now that the the stat zone app doesn't cover the championship sofa scores really has taken over that mantle and You'll be able to see the pitch maps yourself and the the very simplistic passing statistics and everything else. Uh, they also have sort of they have a very uh, good record of what of basically influence in the game, who's on top, which is a metric they work out in terms of possession and passes and various other things. But what was interesting about the pitch map on Saturday is we we've spoken the last couple of weeks about town tending to cluster over one side and put all their play through one side and again if you look at the pitch map from Saturday it was all over the left side now I think you're right I think Pippa is coming inside and has been instructed to come inside but it's quite stark that your winger on that side which on Saturday was Diakabi who we need to have a little chat about but we will have a chat about Diakami and talk about his form and what he's providing at the moment. But it does show how isolated someone can be over on that side. So whereas Karoma has constantly got Toffolo as an option outside or providing him space by going outside and pulling a defender away to give Karoma the space to come inside and take that shot on, which is what he really wants to do and get into that space. The other side, they just haven't got that. <laughs> they haven't got mm-hmm. that. Pippa coming inside does take a defender away in odd time and give Diakabi space but as I said it also isolates him quite often against against two players um so it's it's quite a tough it's quite a tough role and there are lots of teams that sort of tend to go down one side or the other um predominantly but town are are becoming quite quite obvious and I I would suspect that opposition analysts are going to be looking at that specifically and thinking if we push these two fullbacks back what what else have town got you know yeah and and i think that only emphasizes how important the winger's job is because part of their job now is is i mean it always is but a big part of their a bigger part of their job now if opposition teams do start targeting toffolo and pippa and we've seen that they they have been um that the wingers will need to do a job to help free them back up again. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's almost the inverse of what we had last season, where when Town were playing Jaden Brown, um, and this isn't a criticism of Jaden Brown, but this is what happened. Um, other te- opposition teams were like, right, well, we can double up on Grant and just let Jaden Brown go free because he is not as big a threat as Carl and Grant. So we can we can let him just go free and they're not going to do anything with it. And then as soon as Harry Toffolo comes into the side, he's so effective up that wing and so good on the attack that they that they couldn't do that anymore. Um, and they had to find a different, you know, they had to leave other players instead um, to, to, to get someone on Toffolo. And it's almost the inverse of that now where it's like you, you almost need to target Pippa and Toffolo to stop town but that means that you're going to be freeing up space elsewhere and as you say it's often up that right wing and that only emphasizes how important it is that that the right wingers are making the right runs and 
and that they're they're doing the right things. I thought Isaac and Benza did that really well um, against Bristol City. We we talked about that. The fact he was making such good runs, even if they weren't always taken. I don't know if you could <laughs> say the same about Diakabi against Luton, unfortunately. No, I don't think the club have said anything on it, but we both saw that Mbenza had a little fitness test before the start of the game and before the, the team sheets were handed in. So I suspect he's just carrying... I mean, I, I mentioned on the last pod he was, his hammies were strapped up with uh, kinetic tape. So I suspect they're just having to nurse him and are probably quite glad there's an international break now to give him a break because he's become quite important because there is no other way to say this, but I know a lot of town fans for a long time lumped and Benza and Diakabi in together um, for obvious reasons, really, because they both came at the same time, neither performed, both were big money and both got bombed out the side, out the squad at the same time. But I think it, it, you you have to face the fact that there is a big drop-off at the moment from playing Mbenza to playing Diakabi. Um, mm. We talked about Mbenza's confidence and how they've managed to get it up to sort of 60%, and if they get it up another sort of 20%, then he, he really goes on to the next level. Diakabi at the moment is struggling. He's really struggling. Um, it's not that I don't think there's a footballer there, but he he's really... Even the basic stuff is not coming easy to him. And I think he's really struggling with just... He looks like he's playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders at the moment. I don't necessarily think it's a physical thing. I think it's possibly a mental mental block. And uh, he's had so many chances at this point as well. We can't honestly sit here, Steve, and say that you know he just needs a 10-game run in the team or what have you. His best, I think the best form probably came in that mini spell again under the Cowleys where, do you remember when he went to Blackburn away and the first half he was really, really good and there's a couple of games where we were both like, right, okay, maybe he's going to kick on, maybe he's going to do it and he's just, he just seems to have regressed again and I don't know what the, I don't know what the magic formula is with Diakabi, I don't know what the thing is going to be that gets something else from him i don't i we were but we both thought when he was playing more as sort of a wing back by definition because he had to step in and cover we both said he looked he looked much better a bit more disciplined and you know he, he hung back a bit and we thought okay maybe there's something there but as soon as you push him high again he he just he really really struggles he when he goes to cross mm. the ball you can see him second guessing himself constantly and i don't yeah, I'm. I'm not sure it's a physical thing. I think it's possibly a mental thing, and it's getting to the point where I just, I don't know. I almost feel sorry for the lad. Yeah, I I would pretty much agree with that. I mean, he's always always had since I've been in this job. Every time I've watched him, he's so frustrating because even when he's playing well, he'll go storming up the right, cut inside to get in because he's left footed. He'll cut inside to try and get onto his left foot, and it's like, okay, just shoot now. Like he'll yeah. get into a good shooting position. And then he just seems to sort of, and people have heard me say this before, but he just seems to wait for someone to come in and foul him so that he doesn't have to make a decision about what to do with the ball. Um, and he, he, that seems to be his game, is just try and win a penalty. Um, and it's like you need to have more ambition than that and more confidence than that. I, I do feel bad for him because, and I'm not going to pretend that he didn't deserve to get dropped from the side last season because that performance against Bristol City was an absolute disgrace it wasn't a game I was at but I was watching it on the video and you didn't need to be at the ground to see he was 
He was jogging. Bristol City were absolutely bombing up the right-hand side, causing town all kinds of problems. He came on after three minutes or whatever it was, Fraser Campbell, after he went off injured. And he was just jogging back into position as Bristol would put in two, three men down the right wing and, and ripping town apart. And he was just sort of, you know, <laughs> jogging back and watching it all unfold. And I think after that, I mean, you, you can't keep a player in the team if, if that is what they're going to be doing because you might as well play with 10 men at that point. So I'm not defending him from, you know, I, I, I think it probably was the right decision to get him out and get a bit of a change of scene for him. But I think where where I do feel sorry for him a bit is, as you say, he went to Nottingham Forest and he was awful at Forest as well. The, 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 he, he couldn't hit form. The fans immediately pretty much turned on him um, because he was he was playing badly. He he really, really struggled in that team. And now he's come back to Huddersfield Town and he's getting all the same criticism again. And and although it's obviously it's an empty ground um, and you're not hearing the fans actually in the ground, I'm sure that it's in your head a bit. And, you know, the players are on social media. They're seeing stuff. They're seeing headlines that we're publishing. And it, it will affect you. And I think that's... That's where for Corbran it's it's really difficult because it's obvious that Mbenza has come back this summer and he's really fired up and, and try to prove a point. But they need to get Diakabi to that point as well, as you say, like to, to that sort of I don't want to say self motivation because that makes it sound like he's he's just not trying, but they need to find a way to, to get the to get it to click on in his head. One of the things I noticed is that his one of the key aspects of his game is he wants the defender to commit and he will he will burn past him. He's you know his his pace is absolutely electric. He's, there's no denying that whatsoever. But the problem he was is one of the fastest players in the Premier League, let alone the yeah. Championship. But the problem is it's like he's forgotten that the defender's not going to commit unless you do something to get him to commit. It's mm. it's literally like he's got the ball at his feet and he's sort of asking the opposition right. Show me what you're going to do, and then I'll decide what I'm going to do. And you can't. The whole point of, of being on the wing is that you want you're trying to get defenders or that defensive midfield that's come over to cover to commit, so that you can go by them into the space they've just come from. And I just it it's I hate to say the word basics, but it it, it is the basics that he's just slightly lost a handle on. I think, and it's yeah, I he he's an issue because. I think when they get through to January, we, as far as we know and as far as we've been told, they still want to do the Aaron's deal. Yes. The problem is, once the Aaron's deal is done and Karoma is now pretty much a lock on the left-hand side, um, suddenly when you've got Mbenza, who has come up a level, Diakabi very, very quickly finds himself perhaps third choice on the left and third, uh, third choice on the right. And... That's not a yeah. great squad position to be for a man at his age who wants a long-term career in football. So, yeah, it's it's there's there's an issue there. But shall we talk about the goal so we can talk about something good now? <laughs> yeah, we probably should. Um, I, I would say quickly before we do, I think it's it's interesting that they've now now they've got two strikers. I almost wonder if the plan B is not swap. Diakabi from Benza now. I wonder if plan B is play Ward and Campbell together or play um, 
Well, they, they moved or to Campbell the, and Caroma. They moved to the three five two, and they had Caroma yeah, and Campbell, exactly. didn't they? And then they brought Ward on. And I think what's interesting with Ward is that obviously he's been signed as a striker, and we believe that longer term they want him to be their starting striker. But what Ward does give you is the opportunity to play as a three up top if you want to change it in game, and he can pull out to one side or the other. You know, it's mm. it's not a role he's unfamiliar with ultimately. So again, you you look at somebody like Dear Carby's squad position, and very very quickly he could find himself properly down the pecking order, and yeah, it exactly. it suddenly it's a long long way back from there. Um, mm. But yeah, I thought that switch to the two up top was quite interesting actually on Saturday. I thought I, I don't Ward looks a long way short of the pace, quite understandably, because he's he's missed yeah. a lot of football in it. You know, everybody else is running past him at a million miles an hour at the moment. But yeah, that does look potentially like being a even a plan A point five, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which, as you say, only puts <laughs> Deer down the pecking order. Um, but yeah, I mean that the goal, another goal that involved Ben Hamus. That's three games in a row, I think. They've scored a goal that's involved the goalkeeper. Um, which is is. Pretty remarkable, and a fourth time this season, I think. Yeah, yeah. You were the one who pointed this out to me, Dave, because I was I was looking for a a, a fifth conclusion on Saturday night. The power um, behind the, the power as ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Why did you suggest that? What is it that you've noticed about Ben Hamer and the way that they're using him that made you suggest that? Well, you're going to put some stats to it all because you're being <laughs> Statman this week, but. Um, yeah, Statman Carruthers, they call me. Statman John. I think. I think the thing is. Give it that... a <laughs> You're a disgrace. You really are. <laughs> um, I think. Th- I think town fans have got to start thinking a little bit about Hamer. A little bit how Man City fans have to think about Edison. Now, obviously, completely different levels and all that sort of thing. I'm not for a minute suggesting. They're along the same, you know, professional level. But Man City have to approach their goalkeeper and as, well, his distribution is the thing that's key and his goalkeeping is secondary. The fact that he's a good goalkeeper is is, is a bonus, really, because what we really want from him is to do an adequate job in goal, but an exceptional job with the ball at his feet or in his hands. And I think... Town fans have to realise that that's what Hamer's main priority is now. He still might drop the odd ricket like he did the other week, but you're going to put the stats to it in a minute. He he is there now. His his <laughs> basically his sort of secondary primary, if that's absolutely a, a thing, function is to have the ball at his feet and to get it to the right people and to look to hit the spaces where he can with the longer balls, but to to do his functional job in terms of getting it out to the wing-backs when he gets the chance and, and starting starting the attacks where he can. And it was quite... I was watching Corbran um, over the last couple of games and when Hamer gets the ball and he either throws it or passes it very, very quickly out into space, into particularly when it's to one of the wing-backs who's got that little bit of, of yardage in front of them to run into. He's, you know, chapping, clearing, shouting, go on, Ben, go on, Ben. It, it's, it's quite clear that is the instruction, and it's quite clear they're pretty happy with him all in at the moment for doing that. Go on then, stat man. Let's give it a bubble. Uh, yeah, so the the stats for Ben Hamer, yeah, I had a look at that after you suggested that, and the there's no goalkeeper in the division that's played more passes than him this season, just general passes. He's also top of the list for short passes. 
Um, so he's he's played 451 passes and 263 of them have been short. That is the fourth highest sort of short pass ratio in the division. So uh, David Rea, Asmir Begovic and Tim Krull at Brentford, Bournemouth and Swansea are the only three regular starters who are playing a higher proportion of their passes short. And obviously those are, are three teams that, that like to be ball players. You know, Brentford... Brentford and Swansea probably more than anyone else in the division are the teams that have taken a lot of plaudits for their style of play and, and Bournemouth have always tried to be that in, in the Premier League. So yeah, that that tells you something about the style, but but we kind of knew that. The interesting thing I think is that if you look at his long pass accuracy, so he's not playing that many passes long. Um, but when he does play them long, they tend to be accurate. That there's only Alex Smithies, who's obviously at Cardiff now who is hitting more of his getting more of his long passes to a man to a teammate and bear in mind he's got six foot five inch Kiefer Moore Mm. to to hit the ball into so it's that suggests to me I mean Town are not a team that particularly blessed with height I would I would suggest obviously and Ben's a dear car be up top at at all um but you know Campbell and Karoma certainly aren't you know big target men so it's such and, and in midfield you know the o'brien hog so that suggests to me that that when hamer is going long it's for a reason it's because he's seen that the pass he's, is on and that he he's can, hitting he the can, space yeah he's hitting yeah. the space because like even the best goalkeepers in the world distribution wise are, are still not pinging it out of their hands like 45 yards to feet you're not you're trying to put it into an area mm-hmm. because you know the player's going to run into it and that's something Hamer, I think, has has done pretty well. And when you do have a much improved in Benza one side and a, a you know a Josh Caroma who, as we've said, is a project that is clearly worth sticking with longer term, and he's got Toffolo and Pippa who are now you know on the overlap either side of them. Those spaces are there to be hit. So, it, it, as I said, it's not. It sounds odd, but his goalkeeping is almost becoming a bonus. <laughs> It's it's <laughs> his his biggest he's sort of the first point of attack almost as as you get in possession based teams. So as I said, I think he still might make the odd mistake, but he he really that's not that's not just his his job to keep goal. He's got to do all these other aspects as well, and he's doing it. He's, do, he's certainly exceeding my expectations, Steve. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, and and I think we're often quite um, when. As a media in general, we're not great at assessing goalkeepers' work because it's such obviously such an odd and specific role. And I think often with goalkeepers, it's only it is very much a position that it, you can only really see the effectiveness when you drill into the stats sometimes. Because obviously, if they pull off three amazing saves and push them over the bar, and you know, then then you can see that they're having a good game. But I think it's we generally, as fans and as a media, have a poor understanding of what represents um good but work the, from a goalkeeper the other thing is if they make three outstanding saves in a game but then they make one mistake and it's a goal everybody goes mm. oh they were rubbish yeah exactly and and i think it is nice sometimes to have a look at these stats and and try and dig some things out and go oh that is yeah that's not what we we would have expected and and fair play to him because you know we, we've talked about him before and i would suggest everyone goes and goes back and watches the preview show that we did with Paul Clements, the head of goalkeeping. Um, I can't remember which game it was, but if you search for it, I'm sure you'll find it because he, he talked in there about 
the fact that that Hamer almost sort of needed to just go away last season and get away from the club and and get a bit of his mojo back and that even when he came back earlier this summer they knew it was going to be sort of difficult for him and that there was a bit of a job to do there in terms of of getting his confidence back up and you can as you say you can you can see that that's happening you know he's he's one of the players who I think has been the the sort of a big pleasant surprise this season mm. speaking of which I think a few minutes on Jonathan Hogg really because yes. I think he's had an excellent week I I've I have my doubts whether he could adapt, um, but not only has he sort of adapted, I think he's been excellent the last three games, and he's a player who has driven me mad in the past, and I I was vocal about it last season. You know, he, he last season there were whole games where he offered nothing but lots of po- pointing at people and lots of shouting. He He's become, not only has he become sort of the first pass from Hamer often because he's the one who's dropped into the space, but he's able now to take that pass, and instead of just playing it straight to Christopher Schindler, he's turning, he's running, he's carrying. We've seen him, we've seen him dribbling over this last yeah. week. You know, we've seen him taking people on and being more willing to push on, and we've also seen him um, being happy to operate outside of that defensive third. You know, his his game for so long has been to split the centre backs or to operate just in front of the centre backs to stop a. a and 10 or any form of attacking midfielder getting some space. But there is a confidence there with Hogg now that he believes he can go on and just play 10, 15 feet higher up the pitch. And it's working. He's He's been really, really good over this last, last three games. And I think long may that continue. And all credit to him for being able to adapt his game in that, that manner. You know, him and Richard Stearman were the two before the start of the season off the air, me and you both said, hmm, not sure they're going to be able to adapt to a sort of higher-paced, higher-energy game. And both of mm-hmm. them, but Hogg in particular over this last week, have, have really proved everyone wrong, I think. Yeah, big time. And yeah, as you say, I think he's probably been the best player on the pitch for town the the last three games, uh, and the best player on the pitch full stop against both Millwall and, and against Luton. And, you know, we, we've complained about that, the difficulty of First, getting the the ball between the midfield and the attack, which I think is is still a bit of an issue as we've talked about, but also the difficulty of getting the ball between the defense and the midfield, and I think that bit now is is solved actually because because largely of of Jonathan Hogg and you know it's it, it's as you mentioned it's not just the square balls anymore that that he's obviously still playing square balls now and then I would imagine it's still the majority of his passes, but. He's always looking for the forward pass now first, um, yeah. and and there's been times where he's you know picked them out and created opportunities for other players by having done that. And we hadn't seen that so often from from Jonathan Hogg over over the last year or so, as you say. So yeah, he's he's having a. I mean, it's three good games, and he needs to keep it going over the whole season. But he's having a a bit of a renaissance. Do you, do you, uh, honest opinion, I, I, I don't know, I'd like your take on this. Do you think actually having Vallejo coming into the club and giving him a little bit of direct competition helps as well? Because his competition has always been a player who can play as a defensive midfielder or play elsewhere. So it's been like a Stankovic who's primarily a central defender but can play as a defensive midfielder or a Chalabar who can play as a defensive midfielder but can also play as a 
a normal central midfielder or a right back, as we found out. Do you think actually having that direct competition is actually quite healthy for him? I think, yeah, I think every manager and everyone would say it's always good to have competition for places. And and that's why even when you've got sort of a team that's won the title or won the Champions League or whatever, you always need to get one or two new signings in to, to when people say freshening things up. I think that is what they're talking about. They're talking about keeping players hungry and keeping them pushing for more. But I, th- I think there's there's more than that with Hoggy. He, he's admitted that he he struggled a bit mentally towards the end of the Premier League and going into the beginning of last season. Um, and credit to him for, for coming out and, and speaking about that because, you know, it's it's something that, that can affect anyone at any time. And he's admitted that he found that difficult and had to push through it. And then I think even after Town hit a good run of form last season, he was so often last year just sort of playing through injuries or just having come back from injury or about to get injured because he had that issue with his hip that, that kept flaring up um, from about, I feel like it was sort of this time last year onwards, he, he struggled to sort of put five, ten games together. I think this season as well, there's been a couple of games where he's played, I think it was against Rotherham, he played through injury and there was another game in this run um, that we've just had where he played through illness as well. Um I think it was Birmingham. I think he might have even been. Uh, I think he might have been sick on the pitch at Birmingham. So there have been other factors as well. Um, I'd be interested to talk to him and 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 see which of these factors, if any of them or all of them. I mean, it probably is a combination of all of them. Um, has just, has led to this. I've just wondered from the. It's more from the point of view of sort of Corbyn's stated aim is to have. 22 players so two mm. for each position and and that sort of sprinkling of youth players who can come through as the backup to the backup if you like and I I just I think with Hoggy's just being a natural starter for so long with his his competition as I said has always been a player who can play elsewhere but if needed can come in and do his role mm. if he's injured and I just wondered if signing Vallejo as a, a direct competitor, you know, as somebody who can play in his position, has just, even subconsciously, has just kicked him on a little bit. Has just gone, all oh, right, okay, you know, socks up, time to, uh, time to kick on a bit. But all, all credit to him. I think he's been excellent, and I've not, you know, I've, I'm, I hand on heart, I've not always been his biggest fan. And last season, I, I was, I was relatively quick to criticise him, but I think. Yeah, I I think, you know, if you're going to be quick to criticise, you've also got to be quick to praise. And I think he's been brilliant last three games. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I would agree. Are there any other, while we're on the subject then, are there any other players who you think over this sort of, what is it, 11 games of the season um, in the championship? Because we're at a point now where with the two-week break, before we go into another manic run of fixtures, where we can sort of take stock a little bit. Are there any other players that, that have surprised you or that have, stood out for you particularly this season and are there any players on the flip side who you think maybe are not living up to to your expectations i think it's e- easier to start with the ones who aren't who aren't living up to expectations at the moment and i think i think there's a question mark over lewis o'brien at the moment i think he he, he was out for so long you know comparatively speaking because it's such a weird season and such a truncated season that three weeks out feels like three months out <laughs> yeah um, i mean it's if you get three weeks out at the wrong time you miss seven games yeah um and i think he's clearly needing a little bit of time to get up to speed but everybody knows he's he's got it's an insane amount of talent so he'll get there but at, at the moment i think it'd be fair to say there's a lot more to come from him we've spoke about dear carby 
I think, you know, Danny Ward has, has only just come in. It would be incredibly harsh to criticise him. But again, yeah. he has missed 11 games of the season. And it was quite clear it's he needs he's going to need two or three to get up to speed because he was, you know, visibly he was a little bit shocked, I think, when he came on at the speed of everything. So he he needs to push on. He needs to, to get up to form fairly quickly, I would suggest. But I think in terms of sort of players who are exceeding expectations, we mentioned Hogg, mentioned Stearman as well. I think Stearman has he's become weirdly become a bit of a lightning rod for criticism, I think, for some some town fans on social media. And I don't get that at all because I think he's of the three defenders, Saar, Schindler and him, I think I'm not going to include Critchlow on the strength of what you know I I thought was a very bad game against Rochdale and then a very good game against Forest. I think we have to say he's at he's at par at the minute. But I think of the three that have played a lot, I think Stearman's been the best of the three. I think yeah. Saar does eye-catching things, but has also had a red card, picked up a couple of yellows, and had a couple of dodgy moments. Mm. When everybody was blaming uh, Hamer for that goal the other week. It was quite clear Saar got a shout from his goalkeeper that he was coming for the ball, and he just stood there. So Hamer had to come through him to get the ball, and I didn't think that was a great moment. Preston, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think Schindler it looks okay, but he's obviously had a couple of injuries, and he's the one who is, has been dropped for tactical reasons, which I think probably tells you a story. Stearman has, has stepped up, and yeah... Couple of high profile mistakes, but again, it's a bit like the the goalkeeper thing that then ignores you know eighty nine and a half minutes where he's played really really well. Yeah. Um. And I yeah I think he's he's been the best player in that defensive three or by by quite a way. And then I think it's probably over to you to talk a little bit about Toffolo and Pippa really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, before we do, I, yeah, I would I would echo what you said about O'Brien. I think it's it's only fair to say you know he's he's played i think it was 135 minutes before last saturday and then he's had because of the the injuries and the, to, to pritchard and uh, vallejo isn't up to speed yet because he's been in quarantine and bakun has been ill o'brien's had to and iting wasn't fully fit against uh, millwall either because he got a bit of a kick uh, against birmingham that that o'brien has then had to play three lots of 90 minutes back to back to back where Ideally, I think he he would have been left out of at least one yeah. of those games, or and probably subbed off in the other two, um, just to manage his minutes. So, um, yeah, we we know that O'Brien will come good. I think we're a long yeah. way off any. I th- I think I think fans have noticed he's not been at his best, but I think we're a, he's got enough more than enough credit in the bank that no one's having a go at him for it, and it's understandable. I um, think just and just I, before you go on, I also think it's slightly harder to come back into a Corbyn side because everything yeah. is ten percent quicker. So not only do you need to get back to where you were, you've also got to get 10% past that to to mm. catch up with everyone else. So uh, there's a lot more to come from him, but yeah, it wasn't coming from a point of criticism at all. No. And and I think he'll I think the break has come at a great time for him. And yeah, I would I totally agree on Stearman. and I, I don't get where where the criticism is coming from at all. And it is I think it is a minority because he's still getting sort of good player ratings in the overall in the when we do sort of the fan vote, um, he's still getting reasonable ratings there. So I think it is a minority, but he's definitely sort of become the, the scapegoat du jour at the moment alongside Diakabi, which is, is a bit bizarre. I, to be honest, 
perfectly honest, I think he suffers a little bit just for not being Christopher Schindler because there's so much. Yeah, more I would agree. So for for Schindler, that I think that that certain people will automatically question him not being in the team. Unfortunately, um, but there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pippa and Toffolo. Toffolo, I think, has been sort of player of the season so far. If you were doing the vote now, I think he wins it hands down. Um, he's what is it three assists he's got now yeah um despite the fact that he's been getting more and more attention from from the opposition he's been doubled um, up on last couple last what two mm-hmm. home games he's yeah. he's had he's been doubled up on every time he's basically coming come over the halfway line yeah and he's been it feels like i mean i'm looking at a team of the week here it feels like he's been in team of the championship team of the week pretty much every week at this mm-hmm. point this season um he's just such an effective player and at a club like Huddersfield and any championship club really you're always you always start to get a bit worried when a player starts playing almost too well because it's like oh they're gonna they're they're the next one to go to the Premier League then and it feels like it feels like he's not a million miles away from that you know if someone were to if a you know an Aston Villa or someone were to to come in for him in January he wouldn't be enormously shocked at this point um and you know there's there's nothing I don't think there's anything about Toffler where it's like, oh, he's unique for a left back because of this or that. I think he's just a very, very good fullback for this level. Like, mm-hmm. I think that everything you expect a fullback to do, he does it all well. Um, obviously, he's sort of his big thing is is his um, is his physical prowess, his his stamina, his ability to just keep going. I mean, you don't play 102 um, EFL games in a row um, unless you've got a hell of a, a, a petrol tank and an incredible. Um, an incredible body. <laughs> is that is that an odd thing to say? It's um, sli- it's slightly weird, but I think if you look at Matty Cash at Forest, who was there, was playing as a right back predominantly, and has, you know, again he was somebody who was really really good going forward and very very solid going back, but has taken that step up with Villa. In his stride, absolutely no problem. You could see Toff doing that at some point. You could mm. see him in pushing on and doing that. And I think he's, I think Toff is also a player who loves responsibility. I think the fact yes. that everything is going through him and he has become such an important part of it all, I think he loves that, absolutely revels in it. And I think that's a, a very good attribute for a player of, of in his position. He's a big personality. And and I mean that in a good way because normally when people say that it's like he's the kind of guy who takes his top off at a party. Not that I'm in any position to criticize anyone for taking their top off, I suppose. But um, no, he's like he's a he's a he's genuinely funny. He's not just funny for a footballer. Um, <laughs> and it's a weird thing to praise a player for, but I think that does go a long way because you need that that person that 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 morale um, and that. Um, that sort of team spirit and things like that. And he's also, if you talk to anyone who's managed him, a model pro as well um, on the training ground and on the pitch. So he's uh, he's a great person to have around. Um, Pippa as well on the other side, obviously, um, has done great since he's come in. We've had criticisms of him, of course, um, but they're relatively minor. I, I don't think anyone would have any complaints about that signing at all. He's been absolutely excellent and he's been a really good pickup to be fair um he he offers so much in the final third he's we've mentioned that he's almost played as the extra number 10 in the last couple of games we know that he can go the other way as well and get to get to the byline and, and put crosses in um and sort of the report we got 
originally from from Spain was oh he's really good in attack but he he can't defend but his defense defensively he's been absolutely fine I, I you know the, he's he's had a couple of moments but no more than any other championship he, player he's um he's a classic case though of if you're that quick you don't actually have to be that good as a defender because your recovery mm. pace will help you out of what 80% of situations mm. and i think classically that's what what you have with him and i i think he has been a i think he has been a great pickup to be fair because i think he's uh, uh he's not liked off on the other side but there's sort of a very good balance of of mm. attacking options in that you know, the last couple of games, teams have doubled up on top. So, all right, well, we go down the other side. The problem is Town are just slightly reticent to do that because there's a lot of sort of ingrained, you know, get it to Toffolo, go down the left. That's where Carl and Grant will be. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Last year it was come... Toffolo or Brian Grant, wasn't it? it was yeah. the axis up the left. And yeah, so I think that there's not that relationship up the right, as you say, because it's, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> um, it's it's in Benzer or Diacarbi as well. who spent half the last season out, out of the club. So, mm, but that will come with games. I think. Yeah. I think with uh, whether they do get Aaron's or not, I think we can see that Benzer is very much on an upward upward path mm-hmm. at the moment. He's still not where you know you'd you'd want him to be, but he's certainly on his way. And I think that's probably the issue with Diacarbi is that you would struggle to say he's making progress under Corbran. And so many other players have made progress that suddenly somebody who isn't it becomes quite stark. You know, it's it's as I said, I'm I'm not sure it's a physical thing. I think it's possibly a mental thing. But mm. Fraser Campbell's an interesting player to just talk about for a minute because he's another one who both me and you have views that sometimes differ to to the fans <laughs> on, shall we say. You you think he's just an incredible asset to this system don't you yeah and he was last year as well i i, I think i'm probably fraser campbell's biggest fan um <laughs> from, from in a huddersfield town sense um because i always seem to have a slightly higher opinion of him than anyone else i mean to be honest he didn't he didn't have a great game on saturday but he he barely got into the game he, he only had i think 20 touches um it, it wasn't a lot he uh, maybe that was maybe that was in the 66th minute actually because I was looking at the stats when Diacarbi went off. But either way, I think he had the fewest touches of any town player um, who, who you know per minute. And but I think his pressing from the front is such a as you say such an asset. It was for Danny Cowley. It certainly is for Carlos Corbran where you've got that high press. And we've seen from him this season that when he's had chances, he's generally put them away. I don't think there's been too many. I can't remember too many occasions, which I can with Karoma and I can with um, and Benjamin Diakabi, but with Campbell, I can't remember too many moments where the ball's fallen to him and it's like, how have you missed that? Mm. Or, or, or you should have done that better. I think it's, but they need to find ways to get him into the game. And obviously, you know, a striker is, is, is responsible for their own runs as well. But I think in this system, and Corbrand's talked about this as well, a big part of his job in that front three is, is to drop into the midfield and come back towards the number 10 and help link up the play um, before then getting into the box. So, yeah, I don't think he's, you know, I wouldn't put him in sort of the top top three players of the season, but I think he's he's doing a reasonable job for what he's being asked to do. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think the, the more pleasing thing for me is that, like, he's actually scoring goals. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> a couple of his touches have been brilliant. There was the touch, and I think it was the was it? I can't remember. If it was the second or third Millwall goal um, where he just dropped on the edge of the the centre circle and mm. just a lovely little deft little touch inside to a runner. And it, he's done that a few times. He's but he's another one who sort of changed his game a bit. And I think he's. I I don't think they want. Uh, Firmino, so I don't think they want a striker who, who doesn't really score, but who's just there to facilitate either side. But I think that he is he is adapting, and he looks he just looks this season a lot a lot sharper, a lot on it. And it's not I don't think it, it's easy to just say well they're just all so much fitter under Corbyn. I don't think it's that. I think it's just it's it's, it's a mental change. It's a mental difference, and. I think he's been. I think he's genuinely been good. I think it will be really good when Ward's up to speed, so the two of them can dovetail a bit and he can have a rest because the last sort of fifteen twenty minutes of games when he's having to play full nineties, you know, twice a week, he is quite clearly blowing a bit. But yeah, I I think he's been good. I think he's another one who you would have to say there's been progress this season with. And again, full credit to him at his age for being able to adapt his game again. Yeah, and worth remembering as well, he is he did come into this season with the intention he would be the backup striker as well. Mm. Um, and you know, I think the idea is to get Danny Ward playing as as the first choice centre forward. So um, yeah, again, it's I think competition is. Although people will be laughing at the idea of competition at centre forward for town, but I think just Five that I, you know, all the books, al- <laughs> yeah. Although he's not had a striker on the bench behind him, um, just knowing that Danny Ward is coming back at some point, and remember that Danny Ward's injury took longer than than the club expected. Knowing that he was sort of due back at any moment, I think has has probably done Fraser Campbell a lot of good because last year, with the best will in the world, I don't think they ever saw Steve Mounier as a as a starter. Um, but he know, but Campbell knows that that Ward is seen that way, and I think that that probably has has helped spur him on. So although we sort of complain about the lack of squad depth at times in certain positions, um, you know that's that's a couple of players now that we've talked about in terms of of that competition helping drive them forward. Mm. No, but I think I think that there is a lot to be. I think in general, there's a lot to be very positive about this town side at the moment. Mm. It's it's. We're 11 games in, so you have a a decent enough sample size. I think the historic problems are still there, but there are also, you know, signs that things are changing and things are moving. And when we did that horrible podcast after the, was it the Norwich game, where Mm. we both just had to basically dig in and give them a kick in because we wanted to say this is the, this is the lowest, you know, this is the low point. So that we could say a few weeks in, right, where you can see things are changing. You can see things are changing and it is easier on the eye. If they can then start sorting one or two of these historical problems, then they're only going to improve from there. Yeah, I I think sort of my big takeaway immediately after the game on Saturday was just town aren't having absolute shockers anymore. I think the one that the fans would most point to over the last sort of this seven game run is probably the Birmingham game, and they weren't even that bad against Birmingham. <laughs> um, you know that they had. It was a game where they got they got done on a set piece to go behind, and then Birmingham just sat back and tried to protect the lead. Um, and I'm not saying they played well against Birmingham, but it wasn't. They haven't got close to a. I mean, they haven't got close to a five two at Bristol or a five two at home to Stoke. You know, they they haven't got close to the two nils at 
you know, against Wigan and Luton uh, under lockdown no, last year. Slight caveat though, and I, I have said it before on this pod, I do think they will lose a couple badly just yes. because of how many games there are coming up and the style in which town play and the fact that squad is still a bit thin. It, it, I do think they could go for four or five a couple of times this season, but I think the difference is they might go for four or five, but you would still, regardless of who they were playing in the following fixture, still actually quite fancy them to get something, which is where we are now, which you look at any team in that league, barring the sort of the very, very best, the sort of ex-Premier League squads, and you think, yeah, to be fair, Town could get something now, which is real progress, really, from sitting there going, hmm... I don't think they're yeah. going to get anything there. I don't think they're going to get anything there, etc. Yeah, and I mean, as you say, every championship side occasionally gets a, a bit of a tonking. You know, yeah. the, you know, they, they lost David Wagner's side lost four nil to Bristol City and four one to Fulham in the promotion season. Yeah, so you know it happens, and and I think the key thing is not to panic when it does. And I think again, the other key thing is that last season it seemed like that happened every sort of three, four, five games. Whereas we've not really seen it this year. Um, they've had spells. Um, they've certainly had poor spells. You know, that, that, that last sort of 25 minutes against Bristol City and, and you know, and the the last sort of 15 against Brentford. They've certainly had spells where they've, 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 they've looked bad, but they've not been ranted over 90 minutes like they were yeah. at certain times last year. But which they've is... got, like after this international break, they've got, is, is it, a minimum of 17 games in two months something ridiculous like oh, that. that yeah so in january they've they've got five league games plus they've got at least one fa cup game and if they get through that fa cup game uh you know the third round then the fourth round will also be in january i believe um but either way they've got you know they've got three games still to play in november which bear in mind their next game isn't until the 21st and yeah. then they've got and then they've got eight games throughout December, so it's uh, it's a tough old spell. Yeah, and if you go for four in one of those games, you just it really is like. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm genuinely not trying to patronise Townhands or anything like that, but you really do just have to take it on the chin in those circumstances and go, okay, well, we'll we'll go again in 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think I mean we've said this <laughs> before as well, but it, pretty much every metric you look at town are have been pretty well bang average this season which is a long way up from where they were last year and it's worth keeping that in mind and there's going to be frustrating days and there's going to be frustrating weeks there's going to be games like bristol or birmingham where you're like you know if we if only we had that winger Mm -hmm. we would have won that game but it's just worth remembering that every championship side is going to have moments where they're like if only if only, if only, and town fans are no different from that. And you know, it's it's famous last words because they could come out and lose, you know, all of the first three games. But I think just the fact that we feel like that's not going to happen yeah. is is a sign of progress, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So international break then. Yeah, so we're going to do another podcast next week. I think the idea is that we're going to do a Q&A. And I say I think the idea, I'm completely in control of this podcast, so I've decided we are going to do a Q&A. So we're going to need your questions. I will put a form out at some point this week. So keep your eyes 
appealed on Twitter and Facebook for that. And Dave and I will answer your questions, I think, next Monday is the plan. And we'll have the podcast out for you on Monday. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled on social media and we'll have the details for you there. How are you doing over at Ockley Books, Dave? Have you still got your sale on? Yes, there's loads of things on sale. So enjoy. If you do want a book as Christmas present, football-wise, we have a couple of new ones. We have a couple of old ones. We have fantasy football stuff, if that's your thing. We have all sorts. So head on over and have a look. Magic. Thanks for joining us as usual, Dave. And thank you to everyone for listening. We will see you next time, unless there's anything else I need to add, Dave. No. Good. Bye. (laughs) Bye.